we have an opportunity to cut taxes for Iowans. Ratchet down the rates down to 4.0 in 2026. A tax bill that would phase in a flat tax is in the House, but it requires revenue growth for several years in a row. Planning on something 3.5% for five years is not fiscally conservative. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. I do not make a million dollars a year, um, but if I did, I would sure like the tax cuts we've had the last few years. All but one section of the plan is opposed by Democrats. Republicans say with the state's recent surplus, an income tax cut must follow. We can return those hardworking Iowans' dollars back to them. And the House and Senate agree on how much to fund public schools. FY23 regular SSA at 2.5% growth. You're just not willing to admit that our schools need more funding. I'm John Pimble. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending February 18th, 2022. Iowa Public Radio has the cure for your endless scrolling. The IPR app. The latest news, your favorite music, fresh podcasts, they're all a tap or two away. With newscasts updating throughout the day, the latest stories every time you open the app, and live streams of your go-to station, you get only what you need to know when you need to know it. So stop the scroll. Get the IPR app. Ladies and gentlemen of the House, uh, House File 2317 uh, deals with taxes. One of the governor's proposals is to lower income tax rates. In the House, a bill that includes some of her priorities is floor managed by Republican Representative Lee Hine. It has seven divisions. Division four uh, in 23, two, one of 2023 starts to ratchet down the rates from 45 in uh, 2025. Right now, there are nine state income tax brackets. The top rate is 8.53% for those making more than $78,000. This bill would apply a 4% tax to all income levels beginning in 2026. It's called a flat tax. There's some work that needs to be done, and Democrats want to go to the table with you and work on that. Democratic Representative Dave Jacoby says calling this a flat tax is misleading. Jacoby proposes to eliminate all parts of the bill except for the division that would exempt retirement income from any income tax. This amendment seeks to strike out the divisions that need considerable work, but show our support for the retired individuals and families in the state of Iowa. As often is the case, the minority party's amendments are voted down, but they keep presenting, like one from minority leader Jennifer Conferst. I am not a millionaire. I do not make a million dollars a year. Um, But if I did, I would sure like the tax cuts we've had the last few years. The Republican plan would create new tax brackets before 2026. In 2023, income tax for people making more than $150,000 would be 6%. This amendment creates a new tax bracket that maintains the current tax rates of tax year 2023 and for individual income tax filers earning more than a million dollars per year. Bottom line, no tax cuts for people who make a million dollars a year or more. Another amendment from Democrats that is defeated comes from Representative Lindsey James, who proposes a larger Iowa Child and Dependent Care tax credit. 
our plan would provide much more total tax relief to lower and middle income Iowans by making the state's credit 100% of the federal credit. The bill would eliminate the cliff effect and these changes would make the state even more attractive to growing families by providing one of the most competitive, one of the most competitive child independent tax credits in our country. After the amendments are all defeated, Democrats like Representative Marty Anderson continue to criticize the tax plan. Some of us see a surplus and emergency money, and we believe that we're charging too much in taxes and need to give it back. Representative Anderson is referring to the millions of dollars over the past two years from the federal government to assist with COVID recovery efforts, as well as the state's billion-dollar surplus from the last fiscal year. Some of us think that all of this surplus shows that we aren't using taxpayer dollars to raise all the boats. Planning on something 3 to 3.5% for five years in my opinion, is not fiscally conservative. Democratic Representative Sharon Steckman says this bill would require the state's revenue to grow by 3.5% every year for several years to make up for the income tax revenue lost to an eventual 4% rate. I would call it a majority party spending bill. $1.6 billion out of our state budget, 15% of our total budget will be gone. We have an opportunity to cut taxes for Iowans and cut taxes in a way that this state has never been able to do so before. Majority Leader Matt Winschittle says a surplus shouldn't be used for spending on state programs, but should be used to reduce taxes. Iowans overpaid. That's their money, not ours. The state doesn't generate dollars. Iowans do through their hard work, through their labor, and they're balancing their budgets at home. We have to do that here. And with this, we can return those hardworking Iowans' dollars back to them. The debate is about an hour long. And during his closing remarks, Representative Lee Hine talks about other states that have a flat income tax. There's lots of, there's a fair amount of states in the area that that have passed this flat tax. And and I think, uh, while some of them, I will agree that it's probably not worked well. Illinois has a flat tax of a little over, a little under 5%. Colorado has a flat tax of 4.5. Michigan has a flat tax of 4.25. Indiana gets as low as uh, 3.23. And Pennsylvania goes even lower at uh, 3.07. So, we talk about uh, whether it's fair or not. Like I said, 4% to me is fair. The bill passes the House with all Republicans voting for, including three Democrats. There is a tax proposal in the Senate that would reduce income taxes to 3.6% by 2027. The Senate proposal has not yet come up for debate. A week ago, the House passed a bill that would increase public school funding by 2.5%. The Senate's proposal is 2.25%, but as debate in the Senate begins... First of all, the amendment sets FY23 regular SSA at 2.5% growth. 
Republican Senator Amy Sinclair conforms the Senate's proposal to the bill that passed in the House. This this foundation formula that we're considering here is $7,413 per child. Schools also receive funding from other sources, including some one-time money from the federal government for COVID relief efforts. We set an SSA. We make a promise to school districts. We let them set their budgets. We tell them what they're getting, and then we send them that money for those children who are in their classrooms. Because of the pandemic, some schools had fewer students enrolled last year, which means those districts will receive less funding next year. So let's talk a little about funding. Democratic Senator Claire Selsey says with a surplus nearing $1 billion, there should be more spending set aside for schools. Last year, the percentage increase was 2.4%. When we have a gigantic surplus and year after year, we come up with the same amount for funding, what does that tell me? It tells me really it has nothing to do with the pile of money that we have or don't have. It's just that you're just not willing to admit that our schools need more funding, period. That's what you're doing. So I would say that's benign neglect on steroids. We have the money. It's our priorities that are lacking. Democratic Senator Herman Kornbach proposes an amendment that would increase funding by 5%. We have to pay more competitive salaries. Iowa's starting teacher's salary is lower than 29 other states. You talk about wanting to make our system competitive, that's where we got to start. We got to pay competitive salaries to bring those new teachers in. We're not going to do it with 2.5%. 5% is better. It's not really enough. But 5% is better, and that's why we're offering that in this amendment today. It's always a gut punch to me when, when I'm told I'm, I'm not funding enough, uh, when I'm not giving enough to schools, that, that uh, they need more. Senator Sinclair says the average teacher pay is $61,000 a year. Plus benefits, plus a defined retirement system, plus uh, a, a reduced work schedule related to, to the fact that we have school for nine months. Um, and I would just want to also point out the fact of another figure that the average household income, the average household income in the state of Iowa is $62,000. What that says is that the average educator alone makes roughly similar to what the average household of the child that she's teaching makes, or he's teaching makes. Those are facts. Those are facts. We do care about our teachers. We do take care of our teachers. And I won't stand here and, and pretend to be a wholly owned subsidiary of ISCA spouting, spouting things that aren't facts. The facts are Iowa's teacher individually makes roughly the same amount as a household income of the children that are being educated by them. The proposal passes out of the Senate, and Thursday afternoon, the governor signs the bill. While the Senate conformed to the House spending bill, one House education spending bill they did not bring up is one that offers schools $19 million to help manage staff shortages. This is the Legislative Podcast Under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble.
This season, Garden Variety wants to help you flourish. Each week, our favorite horticulturists drop by with fresh tips. Subscribe and dig in. Head to ipr.org garden or find Garden Variety wherever you get your podcasts. So far, only a few bills have passed through either chamber. That's because the first six weeks are largely dedicated to the first part of a bill's potential journey, the subcommittee. I guess at this point, I'll open up... Uh the uh, floor to anybody that would like to discuss the bill. Representatives, do you have questions? Most subcommittees have three legislators on a panel. If two sign a bill, it can advance to the full committee. I have so many questions, but since I don't know that there's anybody here who can answer them. This week has a deadline that is referred to as the funnel where a bill must pass out of a full committee on either the House or Senate side. There are exceptions for bills about taxes or funding. Republican Representative Mike Sexton speaks in a room with a handful of people during a subcommittee. It's for a bill that prohibits purchase of any property by China or any business from that country. It's already illegal for a foreign country to own farm ground. And, and I'm under, my understanding is there's a group of Chinese investors trying to buy some farm ground in southern Iowa, but I don't know that yet. Representative Sexton says he doesn't think this proposal will expand what is in Iowa code that much, but as Democratic Representative Mary Wolf reads the bill, she says it would. I thought it said that China also can't purchase any, yeah, yeah, any real property. Yeah. Any. That's quite an expansion. I mean, right now it's just agriculture. Now we're, we're kind of targeting China and saying you can't buy like a house or anything. Representative Wolf does not sign the bill, but the two Republicans do in this meeting that lasts three minutes. It then comes before the full House State Government Committee. We've got to make doubly sure of what we do doesn't jeopardize uh, the business that our farmers are, are doing right now with China. Democratic Representative Bruce Hunter says a bill like this has the potential to reduce the export of Iowa's agriculture products to China, like soybeans and pork. Like it or not, China is our third uh, biggest trade partner with Iowa. Uh, they do a hair over $2.1 billion worth of business per year with Iowa. When Representative Hunter asks Representative Sexton why this bill is necessary, Sexton says he has heard there may be an investor group from China trying to buy some farmland. I don't, I don't believe, personally myself, that we should be allowing companies or corporations from China to be buying our farmland or buying our businesses. Representative Wolf says this bill isn't necessary. What this bill does is expand the prohibition on purchasing farmland, purchasing any kind of land, and it also expands that prohibition to anyone who's affiliated in any way with any business that is primarily owned by a Chinese, by, by somebody from China, basically. So... I also would not want China coming over here and buying up all our farmland. I'm happy to say that that's, we've already taken care of that in code. Representative Sexton says this bill will allow enforcement to begin at the local level instead of at a state level. In current code, it puts the responsibility of 
uh, enforcing this on the Secretary of State's office. And what, and I'm surprised we haven't heard from county recorders, but in this bill, it puts the responsibility of enforcement on the county recorders to notify the Secretary of State. So it, it puts our, you know, right at ground level where the transactions are taking place. This proposal is passed out of the state government committee and is eligible for floor debate. Earlier this month, Governor Reynolds announced all COVID-19 public health disaster emergency proclamations would expire on February 16th. She said in a written statement, the flu and other infectious illnesses are part of our everyday lives and coronavirus can be managed similarly. Part of these emergency proclamations allowed for paraeducators to fill in as substitute teachers in K-12 schools. First of all, I want to say thank you so much to all of you for getting this on your agenda and bringing this emergency meeting together today. Nicole Presh is an attorney with the Board of Educational Examiners. She is speaking to the Administrative Rules Committee. This is a joint committee composed of legislators from the House and Senate. With the governor's announcement of the proclamation ending, um, we were getting a lot of phone calls regarding substitutes and um, paraeducators being able to continue to substitute in the manner that they have been over the last two years. The governor's proclamation expired on February 16th. This administrative rules review committee is meeting the day before to pass rules allowing paraeducators to continue as substitute teachers the next day. This process has been very ugly. Republican Representative Megan Jones is part of this committee. Jones criticizes the Board of Educational Examiners, who met the day before to present proposals allowing paraeducators to remain substitutes. I am very uncomfortable slamming rules through in five days. Um, There are not a lot of departments or agencies that I would trust to do that. Um, It makes me sick to think of eliminating all of this public notice. The committee does pass rules to allow paraeducators to continue as substitute teachers beginning February 16th, but something longer term is needed for the rest of the school year. Representative Jones is also the sponsor of a bill that will have to go to the Education Committee. She takes this Administrative Rules Committee to discuss the bill. What this seeks to resolve is three problems that have surfaced throughout the five days of discussion that we've been able to have on this. Um, One, um, it puts a sunset on this so that we can reevaluate. Two, it requires the school districts to put together a good faith effort to find uh, someone who is not a para because we don't want to be in a position where we're we're short of paras either, right? And then also it, um, it has language regarding the pay scale because we don't want enterprising folks thinking that we should put less qualified people into a classroom and use a para because we can pay them 12 bucks an hour. There are many open positions in public schools. Republican Representative Michael Buslow talks about the challenges in central Iowa. Des Moines in January and February had 45% of their teacher vacancies go unfilled. Waukee had in January 42% of their teacher vacancies go unfilled. Urbandale is missing 30 to 40 teachers every single day and 25 to 30% of those vacancies go unfilled. 
Committee member Democratic Senator Rob Hogue talks about his wife's work in public schools. He says she's a media secretary that also substitutes for paraeducators. She also has a substitute teacher's license. So she's sub for teachers, she's sub for paras, she's sub for office staff, and she has continued to do her job as the uh, media secretary. Um, so I have firsthand knowledge of the scramble. That's what the workforce crisis is doing to our employees in the schools. And I just have, I can't let this meeting go without expressing disappointment that the governor's office did not identify this problem before announcing the end of the public health uh, emergency declaration. This bill can't pass in the Rules Committee, but the next day it goes before a House Education Subcommittee. We will call the Subcommittee for House Study Bill 720 to order. Democratic Representative Sue Cahill is one of the subcommittee panelists and a former kindergarten teacher. She still works in a Marshalltown Elementary School as a reading specialist. I do think this is a good fix to create the continuity that we have in our classrooms right now and that ability to fill classrooms with, with folks who have been for this year already. Perfect. Um, I appreciate it. Republican Representative Dustin Haidt also signs this bill during this four-minute subcommittee meeting. Haidt is also the chair of the House Education Committee. Appreciate everybody doing this on last-minute notice, and uh, my plan is to pass out a subcommittee today, get it through the committee tomorrow, and if we need to fix something, we'll do it before it hits the floor. The next day, the bill passes out of the full Education Committee and is eligible to be brought before the entire House of Representatives. Earlier in the week, the Education Committee advanced a bill that bars transgender girls from playing on girls' sports teams in public schools. The Senate Education Committee passed a similar bill at the end of the week, but it includes community colleges and public universities. Both chambers can now bring the measure up for debate. The governor has not commented on the specific bills, but as indicated since last year, she supports this effort. I'm John Pimple. This is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland. Additional stories about this year's legislative session are coming from Iowa Public Radio's Statehouse reporter Katerina Sestarik, also from IPR reporter Grant Gerlock, Natalie Krebs, and Katie Pikus. Digital team support for this podcast comes from Caitlin Troutman. If you haven't subscribed to the show, do that now, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.